invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, as we continue our Sunday morning sermon series through the book of Exodus, looking this morning at verses 1 through 14. We are uh, past the Exodus, uh, the initial uh, rescue of God's people from slavery in Egypt. God's people have been led by the Lord, by a cloud, and by a, a pillar of fire. And we see in Exodus chapter 14 their final encounter with the Egyptians. Let's look together at this passage, Exodus 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped by the sea at Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray.
Our God, open our eyes this morning that we might see glorious things in Your Word. Help us, O oh God, in particular to see You. To see You in Your glory, to see You in Your goodness and Your power. We ask that You would write Your Word on our hearts. Draw us to You, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And we think about some of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Certainly, this one is going to be one of them. But another well-known story in the Bible that even those who don't know the Bible know is the story of David and Goliath. This young man battling against this massive, experienced warrior, uh, Malcolm Gladwell even wrote a book titled David and Goliath. And often the story is used basically to say, you too can overcome the giants in your life. Basically, it turns out being a, a self-help uh, kind of story. But it overlooks David's faith and the source of his faith. David says in 1 Samuel 17 to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And that's what we see here in Exodus chapter 14. The battle is the Lord's. In this passage, God is in control in every way, in every detail. We're going to see, first of all, in this passage, the Lord leads Israel to a place of danger, a place where they are trapped. Why? To show His power and to show His glory, explicitly so. Secondly, God again, and for the final time, hardens Pharaoh's heart. He is Lord over human decisions. And third, we're going to see after Israel complains, God says to Moses that God Himself is going to fight for Israel. So let's look at these this morning from Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. First of all, God leads Israel to a, a dangerous place. It is common when we are facing a difficult situation uh, to say or to hear someone say they are caught between a rock and a hard place. Well, here, this describes Israel really literally in a physical sense. God leads them to a, a place of, of danger, which, humanly speaking, uh, they, from which they, they cannot escape. He leads them basically to where they are going to be trapped. Look at verses 1 and 2. The Lord says to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back 
and then camp in front of Pihaharoth between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal-zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Turn back. Now, the exact um, location of these places are unknown. So I'm not even going to deal with these places or their names anymore. I'm not going to mention them because I keep stumbling over them anyhow. But what is known is this. They're on the edge of the wilderness, and God says, do an about face. Turn around. Don't keep going into freedom. Turn around and encamp basically with your backs to the sea. Open wilderness before them. Camp on the Egyptian side of the sea. Doug Stewart says the contrast to their previous direction is going to be to the Egyptians an indication of confusion. And indeed, that's what we see here. He also points out that Egyptian, the Egyptian military kept a watch on the activities of Egypt's borders. So Israelites' movements here would be made known to Pharaoh. So the Israelites appeared to be lost. They appeared to be disoriented. They appeared to be helpless. They appeared to be vulnerable. Verse 3 says, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. That, was, that is what Pharaoh and the Egyptians believe. But God has led them there. God has led them there. A place where they're trapped. Hemmed in by the sea on one side. Eventually by the Egyptian army on the other side. They are between a rock and a hard, pl- hard, uh, and a hard place. Defenseless. Unable to escape. Or so the Egyptians would think. You know, God sometimes leads us to hard places, difficult places. Why? Sometimes to test us, to refine our faith. God, why did you put me in this situation? We sometimes ask. James says, James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God puts us in situations to to test us, to cause us to grow in our faith. Sometimes God does things for a better good. Think of the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers, later falsely accused and imprisoned 
But later, Joseph would say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's true in every situation if we belong to God. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever has happened in your life, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Since God is leading, He's always sovereign over the difficulties in our lives. We can be assured of that, brothers and sisters, in Christ. Sovereign, always leading, always for our good, ultimately. Secondly, one more time and for the last time, we see that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. We see it in verse 4. We're going to see it again in verse 8. But here in verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so. Now look at verse 5 also. Even his servants mind was changed toward the people and they said what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from uh, serving us now this is a surprise that they changed their minds you remember earlier his servants had begged Pharaoh to let Israel go they said at one point don't you realize Pharaoh the land is in ruins look around you let them go And here they have changed their minds themselves. What was their motivation? Most likely, their motivation, as one commentator puts it, John Mackay puts it, was there not an even greater need for these slaves now to rebuild their ravaged land? We need them now more than ever most likely. The picture here, of course, is of, of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Hardened Pharaoh's heart, but of course, the sin of, of Pharaoh and his stubbornness and, and of his servants' stubbornness. And of course, they go hand in hand in Scripture. All we have to do is read Romans 9 and then Romans 10, and you see them back to back in the Word of God. Romans 9, God's electing grace at the end of 9 into chapter 10. uh, Israel's unbelief and seeking to earn their own righteousness. They don't cancel each other out, but somehow in the wisdom of God, even if we can't fully get our mind around it, God's absolute sovereignty And human responsibility go hand in hand. God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and yet Pharaoh is still responsible and will still be punished for his hard heart. And Pharaoh and his army do indeed pursue, as we see in verses 6 and 7. Notice here in verse 6 and 7, we we read of the chariots of the Egyptians. Pharaoh made 
ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt's, Egypt with officers over uh, all of them. Phil Riken puts it, the chariot was the world's most advanced military technology at the time. And the Israelites were simply on foot against hundreds and hundreds, perhaps a thousand chariots coming at them. They would be easily overwhelmed. As Dr. Currid puts it, this was the greatest fighting force in the world that was preparing to pursue them. And then verse 9 in this text, we see that it overtook them. I want to focus for a few moments on verse 8. Verse 8. Notice the language here. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Literally, the Hebrew says, as they were going out either with or by a high hand. The ESV understands it to be with a high hand, which would mean defiantly, as they say here, or the New American Standard, some of you have, or maybe some of you also might have the the NIV, reads boldly. In other words, it's of the, the, the Israelites, the people of Israel, defiantly, boldly. Dr. Currid, in his commentary, on the other hand, argues that it should be by a high hand, not speaking about the attitude of the Hebrews, but rather about God's leading, God's power, which actually fits with this passage. All the events are being orchestrated by God's sovereign control. He's now leading Israel to pursue. He has been leading Israel in their path, even though it's a strange and bizarre one. God is absolutely sovereign in this passage, as He has been throughout this book to this point. Absolutely in control. We often think we're in control. Or we often think other people are in control. At times when they've done something to harm us, to hurt us. And it doesn't mean that they haven't. It doesn't mean that they're not wrong. It doesn't mean that they're not evil. But God is ultimately sovereign in all things, not the author of evil, not involved in evil, but God is, is still absolutely 
sovereign. And we need to see his sovereignty in, in all things. Any of you perhaps remember the Gordon Lightfoot uh, song, the, the Edmund Fitzgerald, or maybe even are old enough like I am to remember the story of the SS Edmund Fitzgerald, a thousand foot freighter in the Great Lakes. In 1975, it was on Lake Superior when a great storm came up with 25 to 35 foot waves. The ship began taking on water. It began to list starboard. It was in, it was in radio contact with another ship that was a ways behind it. And the last message from the Edmund Fitzgerald was, we are holding on our own. Seconds later, a wave engulfed the ship. She and her 29 crewmen disappeared. When we think we are holding on our own, we're not. We are upheld by God and by God alone. God is sovereign. God is in control of our lives. He upholds. He destroys. We're in God's hands. Third thing we see in our passage is that God fights for Israel. God fights for Israel. It's stated here. The reality will come next week, as we'll see. In verses 10 to 12, Israel sees the Egyptian army and they, they panic. Initially, it seems that they respond appropriately. In verse 10, they, they cry out to the Lord when, they is, when, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. That seems like an appropriate response, and yet when we read verses 11 and 12, we realize that it was not a cry of faith. First of all, they use sarcasm. They say to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? That you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Were there no, are there no graves in, in Egypt? This is dripping with sarcasm. When you think of Egypt, what do you think of? Well, certainly one thing is what? The pyramids. What were they? Graves. Elaborate graves. The Egyptians were obsessed with death and the afterlife, including graves for burial. It's sarcasm here. But secondly, they respond with what basically amounts to apostasy in verse 12. Is, it, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone? that we may serve the Egyptians, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. 
Notice the repetition, serve, serve. Earlier we saw over and over again, what did the Lord say? Let my people go that they might serve me. What do the Egyptians say? We want to serve Pharaoh. We want to serve the Egyptians. They're choosing Pharaoh over serving the Lord, the God who redeemed them. How easy it is in times of trial to turn to other gods, to turn to self, to turn to money, to turn to human resources. The psalmist writes of this This passage in Psalm 106, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. How quickly we forget. How quickly we forget what God has done for us. And yet God's Steadfast love continues even here. We see that in verses 13 and 14. There's no rebuke, but Moses speaking for God in these verses says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation. Be silent. Do nothing but watch. Confidently. Quietly. Without trembling. Watch and see. Why? The Lord will fight for you, which we'll see in the next section. This, of course, is is true of our salvation, isn't it? Christ has accomplished all that we need. We simply rest, believe, trust in Him. In some ways, it's also true of the Christian life. There is an activity, an action in the Christian life, but... Ephesians 6, in that wonderful armor of God passage, also says two times to stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, actually on that very passage, says this, I dare say you think it is a very easy thing to stand still. But it is one of the promises which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of human armies, but it is one of the most difficult to learn under the captain of our salvation. 
The apostle seems to hint at this difficulty when he says, stand fast and having done all, still stand. To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much grace. Stand and see how we need God's grace in a world that opposes God and His people. Brothers and sisters, we must always remember that the battle is the Lord's. Sometimes He uses us as He does David, did David. Sometimes He works without us. But it's His. He will be victorious. And to Him will be all the glory. Let's pray. Our God, how we thank You that You indeed are a great and mighty warrior. How we thank You, O God, that You use us, that You work through us at times, and yet, O God, You Yourself have, have won the key and crucial battle in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His life and death and resurrection and ascension. And how we thank You that You, uh, for us, are our God, our King, our Captain, and You are our fortress. And so, O God, we thank You for Your goodness and grace to us. Continue, O God, to give us strength as we seek to serve You and to live for You in a hostile world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.